Hey coaches, I just wanted to pop in really quick before we get our interview started today. I'm really excited about our interview, but I did want to tell you about something else that I'm really excited about. And that is that my course, The Confident Literacy Coach is open right now for enrollment. So if you are a literacy coach, especially K-5, but I have had middle school teachers and I've worked with middle school teachers myself in literacy and they have said it has been useful to them. Um, if you are a literacy coach who was tired of struggling to figure things out yourself, of feeling like you are isolated and alone and you're not sure if you're making the right decisions, that is one of the biggest challenges that coaches face is that we are constantly doubtful of whether we are moving in the right direction and whether we are supporting teachers in the right way and whether we are having the right conversations and focusing on the right things and teaching the best practices. That's, it's a lot to figure out on your own. So I created the Confident Literacy Coach to share with you my coaching experience of the last year, eight years actually. So the, this coaching course is six modules and it includes supports on best practices in reading and writing. It includes um, ideas and supports for co coaching individual teachers using the coaching cycle and coaching teams of teachers around PLCs, planning together collaboratively, uh, looking at data together and figuring out what to do next <laughs> and creating norms and so many other things that we have to do that we are not always taught how to do. And then of course, at the beginning, there are modules about establishing yourself as a coach, getting you started um, with your roles and responsibilities, communicating effectively, and actually building those relations with the teachers, plus managing your time and materials. So I wanted to share that with you today because the, the um, actual cart is open, and I don't want you to miss it. That cart is closing on August 9th. So if you're listening to it after August 9th, you may have missed this round, but we will open up again. I'm not sure when yet, but just keep checking back with us. Put yourself on the waiting list if you've missed it, and I will let you know when the course opens up again. To check it out, go to Confident Literacy coach.com and you will find the details there and a place that you can register before the window closes. Happy coaching. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coaches, I'm so glad you're here with us today for this episode of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Today we're talking about equity and how we can actually use our instructional coaching work to work towards equity at our schools. I'm here with Elena Aguilar, the author of The Art of Coaching and Onward. So many, have told, so many of you have told me that you're using these books for book studies this year, so I'm really excited to welcome Elena to the podcast. And I would love for you to introduce yourself, um, even though I'm sure most of my audience already know who you are. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. So let's see. I think as far as an introduction, the perhaps highlights of my professional resume are um, the 19 years I spent in the Oakland Public Schools in California, where I still live. I was a primarily a middle school teacher, and then I became a coach, and I was both what we think of as an instructional coach and a leadership coach. Um, and the last stint of time in the Oakland schools, I was leading a team of coaches. So those are sort of the highlights there and the, the books that I've written since then and the trainings that I do around coaching and equity and resilience are sort of a part of who I am now. 
Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, I'm sure that gave you a lot of perspective on the work that you're doing now. And so I feel like that really um, leads us into this conversation that we want to have. If you can define or kind of explain some of the ideas for us that so we can all start with a, a solid understanding of what privilege and equity are. Sure. Um, so I think I'll start off with saying this might be just either a reminder or a taste because those are those are concepts that deserve um, that really deserve time to be unpacked and explored. And I'll also preface this with saying that in the end of July, very soon, my next book is coming out, which is mm -hmm. Coaching for Equity. And so I'm glad that I have a place I can point everybody to, uh, because the definition that I can give now is just, a, it'll just be a beginning one. Sure. Um, so the way that I define equity is that every child gets whatever they need in order to be successful and to thrive in school every day. Every child, regardless of their race or ethnicity or gender or sexual orientation or religion or ability or class background, every child gets whatever they need in order to be successful and to thrive in school every day. And I know that that definition can sound a little daunting and it can perhaps make us feel like, you know, can we ever really do that? That's such a a high bar and mm. and I respond to that in my book but basically the answer is like <laughs> yeah, we can and we have to mm -hmm. yes we have to we certainly have to start trying <laughs> we have to. and I think the difference between equality and equity is a good point because equity is every child gets what they need equality is if they're all getting the same thing if we're being fair I think that's the definition of fairness is everybody gets the same thing that's not serving all of our kids right because some of us are short and some of us are tall. Right. And if you give me the same, I, you know, I'm short. I can't see over the fence if I'm, you know, I'm sort of referring to that. Um, mean, that yeah, that graphic. graphic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And, and really, the, to me, the definition of equity or one of the definitions, the core definition is that each individual is seen for who they truly are and seen mm -hmm. and listened to and given a platform to share their stories and their voices. And, but part of being able to see and hear people for who they truly are has to do with the lens through which we see them and the, you know, the, the way that we hear them. And we live in a society those of us who are in the U.S., those of us who are in other so-called sort of Western or settler countries live in places where the, the notion of white supremacy as an ideology is dominant and we've been raised in it and we are, I would say, poisoned by it. Mm -hmm. We could think about it as a virus or as a poison or a toxin that's infested our our systems individually and collectively. And so when we look and listen to people who seem different to us and who have been marginalized in, in our societies, and so in our white supremacy society, those are people of color, 
when we're looking at them through a lens of through a distorted lens, a lens of white supremacy, then we can't really see and hear who they truly are. So in order to treat children equitably, in order to create mm. equitable schools, we have to first do our own work to examine that lens and the the distorted ways that we see other people and to sort of clean off that lens and get rid of it mm -hmm. and understand that if we are truly committed to equity, we're going to need to learn how to see and listen differently. Yes. I, I love that you, you said that because that's one of the things I want to know is what are some of the first things that instructional coaches can do um, to start doing this work of addressing equity issues in their schools? So the work has to start with us as individuals, whether we're coaches or teachers or administrators, we all have to start making sure that we're viewing people through the right lens. Right. So where we start is a little bit individualized mm -hmm. because we're in different places. And so everyone has something to learn. We can just start there. And I mean, by everyone, I mean people of color, people who identify as people of color, people who identify as white, everybody's got something to learn. This, the learning in this journey of creating equitable schools is never going to end. Mm -hmm but we're all at different places. And part of the reason we're at different places also has to do with the intersection of our identity markers. And so for us to perhaps a place to begin is to even just understand where we are, like mm -hmm. what, which are the identity markers that have formed um, the way that we see the world and how do we understand what it means to have privilege or to have been marginalized. And mm -hmm. for most people, there's a just a, a learning journey to start with. And, and part of that is a listening process. Part of it includes reading. Part of it includes talking. But there's so much there's so much available for us. There's really no excuse for people to not be learning right now. Mm -hmm. There's there's so much to read. There's so much to take mm -hmm. in there's so much to listen to so there's um you know i think that the it, it, that the starting point is figuring out where you are and what your learning journey is going to be like I, you know another starting point could also be in acknowledging or accepting the the moral imperative to do something about the inequities and you know, and this is really relevant to not, not just teachers and administrators and coaches, but to everybody in our country. If we, you know, many of us benefit from, many of us either benefit or, or glean some advantages from the oppression of others. And so it, it's really, again, a moral imperative that we recognize what our privilege is giving us and recognize that we need to do something about the inequities that exist in our in our society. So what does that look like at a campus level? If you're initiating this process as a school and you're going through this process together, and I know obviously things have to be done on an individual basis as well, but how can you initiate this as, as your campus if you're a coach? I think there's a number of ways that a coach can start. Mm -hmm. First, I would say don't start alone find one or two or three other people 
with whom you can ask that question even, where do we start? What do we do? Because each person's perspective is limited just by nature. And so you need to gather multiple perspectives. You know, that's one of the, our schools are in equitable place, are in equitable places because the perspective of only a handful of people has is what's been driving the design of schools and the implementation of of education and so start with a number of people and then you could start with looking at school data who is who's not thriving i mean everybody knows in a school but people right. sometimes that people can want to be in in denial or Um, But who's not thriving? Are there groups of students who aren't thriving? Are there um, groups of students or parents who seem disgruntled or unhappy? And that's part of it is figuring out sort of like when somebody is ill and they go to the doctor and the doctor begins by doing some tests to say like, oh, this doesn't seem to be working as well as it should or you know, there's some pain over here, over there. Just identify what's not working first. Another first step is start listening to the people whose voices haven't been heard. Those could be parents. Those could be students. I mean, really listening to students and listening to parents just to start with is good practice. And so in schools where that's not happening, that's a first step. Mm-hmm. How can we hear from parents more, hear from students, whether that's through surveys or panel discussions or one-on-one conversations and asking them, you know, what do you like about our school and what's not working for you? There's lots of questions that can be asked of students and parents to surface and to be able to see what are the equity issues at at our site that need to be addressed. Um, That's, you know, those are some places to start. People can a lot can be done even if you don't have, I'd say, like administrator blessing or even permission. A lot can still be done and a lot needs to be done. Um, but just starting the conversation with other teachers or coaches and saying, you know, what is it that we should work on? Maybe what do we need to learn? What could we do this year to, to, to build our knowledge and our competency at creating equitable, inclusive spaces? Those are some places. I like that. Yeah. Starting at, at like a collaborative um, discussion and making sure that stakeholders are involved, that parents are getting their voice heard is huge. Um, mm-hmm. Parents who can't always come to the parent conferences, who don't always get their voice heard because they're not able to participate in those systems that are already in place for parents to communicate with us. Mm-hmm. We need to make it accessible. So do you have recommendations for coaches who are struggling to start having these conversations with teachers? They maybe don't know how to initiate this process or um, maybe they've tried and they kind of were rebuffed and so they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it, that's why I wrote my book coaching for equity. Yes. Because I'm so excited that you're sharing yeah, about that. I have met so many coaches who I would say, they are aware of the inequities. They're mm-hmm. committed to doing something about it, but they don't know what to say. Right. They exactly. don't know what to say, or they don't know what to do after they say something and they, you know, they, they experience some pushback mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do next. 
And so that's what the book is about. And But part of what is critical is that we cultivate our emotional intelligence and resilience at the same time. So Coaching for Equity and Onward really go hand in hand together, those two books, because there is no way that we're going to be able to have conversations about equity without experiencing emotions. It's Mm -hmm. just going to happen. You got to just accept there's going to be emotions. Right. You as the coach are going to have emotions. You're going to feel insecure, anxious, afraid. You're going to feel like you're doing things wrong. You're going to feel angry at the other person's response. There's just like a whole long list of emotions that are going to come up. And the person that you're coaching or the teacher is also going to have their own set of emotions and their, their, their feelings of fear and anxiety and uh, sadness and insecurity and uncertainty. And, and so one of the things that I think makes my approach to coaching for equity and to having these conversations different than others that I've encountered is that I really teach coaches how to simultaneously coach around emotions mm-hmm. and and respond to their own emotions. And that's when I ask coaches, what's the hardest thing about coaching for equity? And I give them these options. I say, you don't see the issues, you don't know what to say, you don't have the time, or it's the feelings that come up. People, coaches say, usually the highest percentage say, it's the feelings that come up. Yes. And they say, I don't know what to say. But the I don't know what to say is often really tied in with the feelings. It's like, right. you know, I said something and then she got really mad and she said, you know, what are you saying? Am I racist? You're not saying I'm racist, right. are you? I'm not racist. And now what do I say? Right. <laughs> right. But then now what do I say is actually because you're about so afraid. Emotions. Yes. Right. It's yes. like I'm I'm upset. I'm paralyzed. Yes. I feel like maybe I shouldn't have said that. Right. It's a lot about the coach's mm-hmm. emotions. And I'm afraid so, to say the wrong thing and make the situation worse. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid not to say anything and not make it better. <laughs> right. So we have to do the cultivation of our own awareness as well as of our own resilience at the same time as we coach for equity. And really just what we all need is more practice and honestly more experience being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like the more we can be uncomfortable, the better we will be as coaches for equity because it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be uncomfortable, but nobody's ever died of discomfort. And we can just, we can be uncomfortable. Right. It's important enough that we can be, that we can be discomforted <laughs> to do yeah. it. Yes. And at some point, you know, I would say it's always uncomfortable, but there's, a deg- there's degrees, right? There's excruciating discomfort where you're like, and then there's like, oh, that was a little uncomfortable, but okay. Right. We'll move through it. You know? Right. <laughs> then, and not, you know, and then you also have the conversations that are uncomfortable and then feel really successful. Mm-hmm. Yes. At the end of them, you feel like, oh, that worked, that coaching strategy. And mm-hmm. this teacher I'm working with now has some new insight and they might act on that insight. And so it's, you know, it's, but we are, we don't have a real high tolerance for discomfort. And so part of what we need to do is strengthen that. 
Yes, that's a great tip. And it's not about having a thick skin either, uh, which is what sometimes people will say. That's a very different kind of thing. Um, being comfortable with, with discomfort, being expecting it's going to happen and being able to sit in it for a little while and work through it and know that if you can push through that and keep, you know, being, keep moving in the direction, you know, is important. You could see big things happening. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I do have a question about, you know, I remember reading um, in the art of coaching teams I remember the part about you were talking about PLCs with teachers and looking at who's holding privilege and how that is, um, who's doing the talking, who is, who is taking up the most of, you know, of the, the times, you know, spent speaking in that room. And it really, really made me think about my own teaching experience and my own coaching experience and how my experiences have, you know, centered around that. And so I was wondering if you can give us some insight about how privilege can affect the coaching relationship we have with individual teachers and with the work that we do with PLCs. Mm -hmm. Well, it, the nature of a coaching relationship in most places is inherently hierarchical. Mm -hmm. And so we just need to start there that if I have been assigned to coach you, there's either there's either a perception or there's a reality that I have some expertise. I mean, hopefully it is a reality that I have some expertise, right? Yeah, but yeah. like, there's something about me that ha is more experienced, more knowledgeable, more skillful. Maybe I've been um, more effective in the classroom as evidenced by certain kind of data points. But that, just bringing that in, there's a, a power structure in which we just, we have to navigate. Mm -hmm. And then depending on where you are coaching, there's, you know, different kinds of coaching models all over the country. And in some places where a coach has a much tighter relationship with an administrator, where they may even, you know, where they may share what they're observing or, or, or thinking about the teacher that they're coaching. So we first have to just acknowledge that. And, mm -hmm. and then we have to acknowledge that within power structures and within hierarchy in the United States and many Western and settler countries, there's, there is even more privilege and authority granted to certain people because of their identity markers. Right. So that could be their gender, their race, their language abilities, their age. There's, there's additional privilege heaped upon. So we're, so, so what we have to do as coaches first is be aware and be conscious and not have any delusions about what we're walking into. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I was a 50 year old white man coaching a 23 year old Latina woman, and I walk into her classroom, I need to be aware that because of the systems that we live in and because of the uh, of the power structures and because of systemic racism i'm walking in with more privilege right and i need and that awareness then with that awareness i need to think about how i engage with this teacher so i i, I think part of your question what what your question is bringing up for me part of your question is that I write about and 
promote and teach people how to use what I call transformational coaching. Mm-hmm. And that's a distinct model of coaching that can be used in schools. And not every coaching model is the same. And right. so I can go literally from one school to the next in most places in the U.S. and find completely different definitions of coaching. So my definition of coaching basically is that that a coach's role is to to guide or to facilitate a, a learning journey for someone so that they can become the educator that they envision so that they can meet the needs of all students. Mm-hmm. And that's not the definition that's used everywhere. So in some places, the structure of the coaching model is also sort of hierarchical and there is a person who had who is you know in places where a coach will walk in and they are seen as the expert who is coming to teach the younger person or the other person how to teach that's not the model of coaching that i ascribe to or that i teach or write about and so there's that's also another corner of the question that you're asking is really what is the definition of coaching mm-hmm. and then within that within those different definitions how does privilege manifest and how do we navigate privilege and and power and hierarchy but the first thing is really is for someone to hold an awareness of their own privilege their own identity marker privilege their own um, power the the power dynamic into which they step in their organization or in their school and then to sort of figure out how do you navigate that how do you respond to it how do you um how do you engage somebody but at the core again just referencing one of the questions that we're kind of looping around is what is coaching mm-hmm. and coaching is defined real differently in places yes that's true but i do think having an understand understanding of your own identity and privilege is going to support you in any relationships that you work through it at, at the school level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in th- keeping that in mind, um, what are some things that you can do like as a, as a leader of a PLC or a facilitator of a PLC, or if you are working with a team of teachers or a group of teachers, a grade level, for example, and they're a very diverse group, is there anything you should keep in mind as you are supporting them through maybe norms or collaboration? Um, what are some things that coaches can do to ensure that, people are are treated equitably in that group? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, there's so many things that a coach can do. Mm-hmm. Great, so, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I don't know, the first thing that comes to mind is probably, this is gonna sound a little, um, I think in general coaches talk too much. Mm-hmm. So especially when they're facilitating teams and that has to do again with their understanding of what is their role and Mm -hmm. of that sense of I have more authority or knowledge or experience or expertise. And my role here is to, um, you know, figure out how to get all these people to do that thing. And so that is just inherently sort of problematic because it's, it's, there's a, I mean, kind of manipulative, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not, and then I don't even disagree necessarily with if you are a coach and you're working with a team of teachers who really needs to start using right. some different management practices in the class, you do need to get them there. But we right. think about it sometimes as sort of this, like, how can I make them do this? Right. <laughs> yes. The number one question I get about coaching, which I won't really respond to, but I'll just say the number one question I get about coaching is, um, 
how do I deal with resistant teachers? Right. And if you're experiencing resistance, that's because you are pushing. Mm-hmm. And if you're pushing and you're experiencing resistance, it's likely because you think you're pushing with, with authority and with privilege and with, um, it's sort of a righteous pushing. We don't, we actually don't need to experience resistance. There's a, but as I said, that's a sort of another a other. <laughs> longer yeah. conversation, but so, you know, concretely, what can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, invite, invite shared facilitation, use the tool in art of coaching teams to sort of track participants, mm-hmm. um, uh, how, both not just how much people talk, but what they say, how they contribute and, you know, who asks questions, who proposes ideas, who, um, who never talks, who right. interrupts pay attention, but, and, but we have to really start examining and deconstructing norms and the way that we work together and the assumptions that we make, because all of those have also been really polluted with the ideology of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it means that we need to start, I'm not saying abandoning them, but interrogating them Mm -hmm. and really exploring so much of our language, so much of the way that we communicate is, uh, and in this sense, I will say, like it, it is infected with the poison of white supremacy. And so mm-hmm. we need to start extricating that, or we're just going to be trapped in our language, in our structures, in our norms. It's sort of like we can't, um, we need to surface all of that and pull it up and not just try to change things superficially. It's mm-hmm. not just about making sure that you know, that the black man in the group actually got to say something today and that the, the, you know, it's not, that's superficial. And that's, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in really deeply pulling out the roots of our, looking at our language. So much of the language we use in schools is language that emerges from an industrial and capitalist society. Everything we're talking about all the time. How can we be more efficient? What can we invest in? What do we need to, all of this language, if we start actually interrogating it, it's, it's transactional language. It's dehumanizing. Even when mm-hmm. we talk about one of my sort of biggest um, complaints or the things that I want to take apart and, and is, is our idea of classroom management. Right, classic management, the language of management. We talk about the same managing emotions. That is language that comes from an economic system that was set up to exploit African, mm-hmm. indigenous, brown, brown people. Mm-hmm. We need to, it, we, if we continue using that language and replicating those systems, we're never going to get out of this this net of white supremacy that we're in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can, I, I can throw out sort of the, the technical quick fix solutions, but they're not there. We're, we will just end up replicating the same inequities that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even the word stakeholders that I used earlier, right. Comes from that same sort of capitalist um, philosophy, right. That we're trying to apply to education and it doesn't, it doesn't fit there. It doesn't belong there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good point is that we have to acknowledge not just like maybe on the surface, how our teams are working, but really how, how are they structured um, beyond who gets to talk all the time, right? We, our norms, yeah, it's got to be more than that. 
yeah, who's making decisions, who creates right. the agenda, who decides, mm-hmm. you know, even our, um, we, we, I mean, this is, this is challenging some of our notions about education as well, but we're so heavily reliant on, you know, what do we do at meetings? We talk about things, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about things, maybe we could, I mean, it's like with the ways that we relate to each other are so limited in some ways. Why do so many of us come out of meetings feeling kind of, ugh? you know, it's, mm-hmm. we're not really connecting. We're trying to get something done. Right. You know, we're trying to make sure we don't, again, waste time. That's another language of it's, you know, how are we actually coming together? What are we doing? So here's another thing people can do. Tell stories. Telling stories, I write about this in Onward, is a, a really powerful way to build resilience. And there's all kinds of neurobiological research on this. It builds individual resilience it, and it builds community resilience. And I would say telling stories and listening to each other's stories is also an act of reclaiming who we are as human beings and, and, and really broadening our way of relating to each other. So for, you know, back to school sessions, meetings, PD sessions, whether these are virtual or in person, spend 15 or 20 minutes telling stories and listening to stories. There's prompts also in Onward for storytelling, but just giving people a chance to share, you know, what was an early memory you had of of a celebration? And we can invite people to share stories that also help us cultivate empathy and understanding for difference. And so there are questions that we can ask that we can invite stories to be told around, which, which allow us to start listening to each other and learning about each other differently. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of the, in schools, we have such a sense of needing to respond to what's urgent, which is valid. And in that process, in that experience, people can be dehumanized. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's Those true. stories. Yes, I love that. That's a beautiful way to get the year started, but it's something to perpetuate all year. My favorite workshops that we did together were writer's workshops, probably because we spent so much time telling stories and sharing about our experiences through writing, but we would start through talking. And that's just, that's a really great way to get to know who people really are. That's beautiful. So I'm sure that some of the things that you shared today were are going to be in coaching for equity. You mentioned it, you know, hinted at it a couple of times. Can you give us the date that that book will be out so we can get our hands on it? It should be up the end of July. It, oh, okay. It's, it's available for pre-order on Amazon. Um, and on Amazon, it says August 11th, but they always put the date farther ahead because then okay. when they send you the book early, you love Amazon. <laughs> so... Um, but my publisher says, my publisher says July 27th. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Well then by the time this comes out, it will already be out. (laughs) So that's great. And you don't even have to wait (laughs) if you haven't ordered it yet. Um, is there anything else that you want to share about that book today? Um, no, it's, you know, there's a lot of sort of supplementary and connected content to go with it. I should mention that I also have a podcast, the Bright Morning Podcast, on which I do, um, I coach people. And so for the next month or two, there'll be a lot of episodes where I'm coaching people around issues of equity. 
So I think that's one of the things that coaches need also is just to hear what does this sound like? You know, how do you have this conversation? What does it sound like? So that's another resource. That would be great. And yeah, people should definitely listen to that. And I will myself because getting comfortable with that language and understanding how that works would be, it would be great to hear it firsthand instead of trying to (laughs) figure it out from a written conversation. So how else can people find you online? You said Brighton Running is your podcast. Is there anywhere else people can look you up? So my website is brightmorningteam.com and I am on all the social medias and probably the easiest way to find those is to start with our website and then just follow those links there. But yeah, or you can look for me. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, And yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Elena. I appreciate you being here today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, We appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. And to everybody listening, um, please be patient with yourself and know that your work matters and happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.